0: Welcome to Success Authorities Conversation Street with Leadership Authority Peter Beaumont and with Business Culture Authority Ron Lehman and me, Linda Ruland, Success Authorities Founder.
1: H.M. Craig is a critical power, backup power, keep the heat light and power on in your building or your company. We're employee-owned, uh, e- so we're an ESOP, uh, about 55 years old. I- I'm the president CEO. I've been I've been at the company about 11 years and been in this role for five. We do kind of a little bit of everything. We're a distributor. We're a manufacturer's rep. We do sales and service, uh, anything in the critical power. But our, our biggest challenge is just supply chain issues. And it started, you know, obviously with all the COVID Um you know, things going on a couple of years ago. And for the most part, it's it's gotten a lot better. But, you know, we're still have supply chain issues. And really the issue is that um, it may not be the product itself that we can't get, but there'll be components that we can't get to build that product. And so, you know, kind of everybody's in the same boat that's in our, in our industry, you know, so our competition isn't necessarily any better or worse. But, you know, there might be things that used to be lead times of, you know, 6 to 18 weeks, and now it's 50 to 80 weeks, you know. And just because there's a small component that is not available that you can't get anywhere else, so that's our biggest challenge. And, you know, we have labor challenges. You know, we, we do a lot of uh, technician work out in the field, and the, the labor pool and the trades is just not like it used to be. You know, they're just... They're just not available like it used to be. I'm not quite sure where they all went. So those are a couple of our biggest challenges at this point.
0: How do you how do you find being an ESOP um, affects those uh, labor issues? Does it well, have any uh, role to play in that?
1: Right, it, it's a good question. Um, I, I would answer it this way: it, it's it could be kind of defined by the 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 age or the where a person is in at in their career because you know it's just when you hire a lot of you know field labor they're generally you know could be anywhere from 20 years old to you know 60 years old but the 20 30 year olds don't necessarily think about retirement you know and and wealth management like the us us more in our golden years so so it, it kind of depends for recruiting purposes. Um, it helps a lot, but it really helps for retention. You know, people that have been here five, 10 years are starting to look at their their portfolio of uh, ESOP shares and it's starting to to be very meaningful, you know, whereas somebody that's starting out maybe 25 years old, they don't necessarily think about what they're going to be when they're 65 and 70. Uh, but, but it's a big recruiting tool because we, you know, we feel like we just think a little bit differently. There's only 6,000 or so ESOPs in the whole country. So, you know, there's, there's not a lot of them, but there's a lot of advantages to be an employee owner because, you know, they get to share in all the upside, you know, of the company. And we've, we've been very successful over, the, over the, the course of our existence. And, you know, in the 25 years we've been an ESOP, it's grown significantly.
0: You know, it seems like years ago. I'm not sure when, but um, years ago, ESOPs were all the rage, mm-hmm. and they seem to be popping up all over the place. And mm-hmm. what happened? Um, they seem, as you said, there's there's many less than there seemed to be before.
1: Right. Yeah, I, I think it it it's a combination of a couple things. Likely, um, one is there's just different tax advantages for an ESOP. You know, ESOPs are taxed like a 401k is so the company itself doesn't pay corporate taxes the the taxes come when a when an employee cash is out you know they retire leave the company or whatever and if they keep that cash just like a 401k cash out it gets taxed there so that so the company's able to kind of reinvest a lot of those those corporate tax savings that you don't have um, you know, and, you know, I think there's probably been some different I've, I've been in, in, in an ESOP for 11 years now, and I imagine there's probably been some some tax changes and different ways that <clears throat> ESOPs are, um, you know, some of the legislation and stuff. But, you know, that statistically, you know, I've seen a lot of statistics and research and stuff that our, our advisors give us that, you know, ESOPs all things being equal, a lot of times perform a little bit better just because everybody is an employee owner and all things being equal, you'd like to think that, you know, if people put a little more TLC in or think okay. differently as an owner because, you know, whether they spend this money or save this money or whatever, it really is as if they're it's their own business. And I think that, you know, people that have been here a while, when they start to think that way, it changes behavior and usually for the better. So, there could be a lot of reasons. I mean, it's one of those too. When, you know, you talk to people or, you know, the more success you see or more victories you see, the more people are interested in um, becoming an ESOP. Um, you know, it's, it's a, when a company is selling to, to become an ESOP, um, it's, it's a lot different sale process typically than whether it's private equity or a strategic buyer or whatever, it it might be a different price point, you know, because they're selling it, you know, back to the employees and they just, that's important to the owner, former owner is, you know, keeping it, all the employees going and keep it in the same direction that they've always gone. So that, that's a big consideration too, as more people see these victories happen with
0: ESOPs. Yeah. Does it does it change the way uh, does an ESOP require different kinds of leadership from you and someone in your position?
1: Um, you know, I, I I'd like to think that any company you would act the same way. But, you know, when you're talking to another employee owner, the dynamics and the culture changes, you know, it's it's much easier to, uh, you know, talk to uh you know somebody that's out in the field or you know uh the staff and things like that when you can talk to them as an as a fellow employee owner and I'm in the same boat as as anybody else in the company um so that dynamic has to change and you know and it's easier to uh really you know sell the concept of an esop when you can show the success i mean literally we show the you know, with our onboarding, with our new hires, and even during the recruiting, we show the trajectory of our stock price and kind of do the math for them and say, if you're here for 10, 15, 20, 30 years, you're going to have a lot of digits in your your stock portfolio for the company. And, you know, so that, that makes those conversations a lot more fun and it helps with uh, retention, you know, of, uh, you know, how... Um, you know, what if you stick around for the long haul and if we're all successful, you know, you can have a really nice retirement and it's free money. It's not like a payroll deduction, like a 401k. Mm-hmm. It's literally free money. You just mm-hmm. get shares of stock every year. You know, some years are more than others depending on repurchase, but it's free money. It's like the closest thing to a pension without being one. Yeah. So it makes those conversations fun and a lot easier.
0: I, I work with a company that is, it's privately held, but they have profit sharing, mm-hmm. which I guess is the privately held version of ESOP sort right. of. Um, yeah. and one of the things that they've noticed is that they're, they feel like it, it, um, their levels of employee engagement mm-hmm. in the overall business increases, as you said, because people, you know, have a, have a share in the ownership mm-hmm. and, want to make sure the whole organization is doing well, not just their part. And it seems to have reduced to a little bit anyway, um, sort of the interdepartmental rivalries of, well, you know, sales is doing their job. It's, it's the engineering that's not, or it, it it's kind of like, as you said, we're all in this together. And mm-hmm. um, and they don't have um, a lot of Im- you know, hard statistics about that, but that's their sense that people speak up more. They offer suggestions and solutions, um, and try and solve problems based on the whole organization, not just what would make their life easier.
1: Right. Yeah, exactly. That's your spot on. And you know, we're we're uh we've been doing traction or EOS for about 10 11 years now and so we have all these different traction meetings for the different departments and we actually have people that occasionally will attend another department's traction meeting because they have some topic or issue that they want to cover with them not to say that any non-esop can't do that but you know we've you know we use that as an opportunity to to break down those silos and you know like, you know like our generator division for example we have product sales, and then we have service after the product is sold. So they have to work together. And same thing with our DC power, you know, they, we, you know, we'll sell a UPS and somebody's got to maintain it, change the batteries, do the install, whatever it might be. So they have to work together, even though it's a different leadership team. Um, We actually had a topic the other day come up where somebody asked the question about, you know, whether uh, people in the field can get commissions or incentives if they refer work that we end up getting and it was a great question and we'd love to be able to do something like that um, but the answer we had was you know all boats rise you know when you know everybody in the company is a salesperson including myself you know if I see somebody at church on Sunday that <laughs> might need a generator or something it's it's best for the company to just you know, steer them in the right direction and you don't necessarily get paid anymore. But that's part of being an ESOP. You know, all boats rise and, and we really work hard to do a lot of the, the inner department. And, you know, we do monthly business review calls with the whole company and we share what all the business units do. I mean, all the way from profitability to new projects, new hires. And we also at that time, um we occasionally do some education you know because somebody in the generator world may not know what the dc power world does or may the just dis- the distribution group may not know what the service group does or whatever so we try to do some just real basic cross training so everybody kind of knows you know where we're at
0: mm-hmm. yeah I, it's You know, we humans, um, you know, we, we, there's a lot of research that shows how quickly we can get into tribes Mm -hmm. and it's like, okay, well, we're this department and we sort of narrowly for, well, first, you know, I, am you know, let's take care of me, but then Mm -hmm. it's the people I work with and my team and the, the sort of subconscious piece is that, uh, you know, there's everyone else is the others. Right. And. Um, and there's nothing that looks so easy to fix as somebody else's department.
1: Right. You yeah. know, the view from
0: outside, it's so clear. Why don't you yeah. people do this? And then that would make my job easier, as opposed to a more global view, which it sounds like you're really cultivating within your organization.
1: Yeah, we do. And another thing kind of related to that is we take a lot of pride in being able to um, offer internal career opportunities for people. And usually it's not within the same division. It can be, but it doesn't have to be. We might have a field technician over here that becomes a project manager in in another department. And we've, especially in the last one to two, three, four years, we've got a lot of people, you know, we're 150 people. I'd say there's probably been 10 to 12 people that have moved into another role you know maybe coming out of the field or going into the field and so the more that people know in the company within the company what the other divisions do the better off it's going to be for them personally and professionally as well because they know that there's so now when they see a project manager opening in the dc power and maybe they're a field technician it's like you know i might interested in that because I know what those guys do and that sounds fun. And that's kind of the next stage step in my career. So that's been really helpful. And that helps with retention is you can kind of tell people you're not going to be, you know, throwing batteries, you know, 200 pound batteries around all day. You know, you can move on to different things in project management or sales, you know, or, you know, warehouse, whatever it might be.
0: Yeah. It's, it's a, one of the, I think a lot of organizations would be afraid of that in that, especially given the labor shortages, it's like, well, if I get rid of my battery guy and and let him move over, then I got to find somebody to replace him. So mm-hmm. maybe I'll just keep him where he is.
1: Yeah, no, that's a good point. And, and it's, it's hard not to think that way. Uh, but a couple of things happen is one is when, when we have somebody that, that applies or has interest internally, we make it very clear that one of the things that we can't do is just take you out of your spot and leave that spot vacant. So, I mean, we flat out have uh, tell people, depending on the role that, you know, it's hard for you to move until you train your replacement. So in other words, we have field technicians that are level one, two, three, four, and a level four or a level three might wanna go into project management. Um, But we just tell them you need to make sure that you know, these two guys over here get trained up so they can lead battery jobs. So when you move on to greener pastures, then they can just step right in. And until that happens, it's going to be hard to do. And so it it not only they think about themselves, but now they have to think about their successor, you know, because we we tell people, you know, it's a lot easier to move up when you got a strong bench behind you. You know, they can step in for you. And, and you know, in the, the leaders in the different divisions, I think we've, I, I would like to say that we've gone gotten past, you know, kind of the, I want to keep all the best talent in my group, but you know, we've, our leadership team in particular has all been here five to 30 years each. And, you know, they get it, you know, all boats rise. And so, you know, they, they're okay with moving people on. I mean, it's, and then they get some new talent to come in behind them. You know, yeah. so you know, it not to say that you don't think about that. I don't I don't want to lose this guy because he's been good to me for ten years.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But it, it sounds too like Tony, your part of your culture is the expectation that um you you share knowledge and wisdom with each other. You don't much like hoarding the good people there, you know, you can also hoard the good knowledge. Like I'm really good at my job. If I teach somebody else, then maybe I'm replaceable as opposed to what it sounds like you've got an organization where no, that's part of your job is to help others get better and sort of improvement for everybody. And again, all boats rise.
1: Right. Exactly. And, and we, we are very purposeful about that. In fact, we're uh, um, core Mary Nutting and their core talent team, do we, they do all of our recruiting and they have a an HR uh, leader, um, kind of a talent leader that is taking us through a bunch of different leadership and succession uh, exercises, initiatives and stuff. And we're doing that right now. And we've identified, you know, some of our top and our growth talent within the company and we're holding each other accountable for, okay, what's this person's career development plan and so every quarter we get together and we talk about you know the people in that group and you know and say Ron what's you know what's you know these three people that you've identified what's your formal plan for them and where are they in the succession plan so we hold each other accountable for that Um, and like I say that Rick from Core Talent does a really nice job of leading us through that that's his expertise and We kind of follow his lead, but it's a it's a formalized process and it also includes succession planning. So, you know, it's it's easy to say, okay, who's going to be the successor for Tony when he leaves or Tim when he leaves? But it's all through the organization. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we have we have field technicians that we have told that when we find somebody to backfill you as a lead technician, we got a project management spot for you. You know, Mm -hmm. so. Um, It it seems to work well, and we're becoming very purposeful and formal about that exercise and those initiatives.
0: Yeah, I think that's, um, it it kind of reminds me of something, a couple of clients that I have that sort of really, uh, especially in the area of sort of developing people to be leaders in the organization and move up through supervisory ranks or whatever. And they they, uh, established a, a leadership profile that says this is the expectations for any leader at any level in this organization. And they kind of start there, and then they look for people who can fit that and then talk to them about, you know, there's the job, but then there's what you're going to do, but there's also how you're going to go about doing it. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what they look for. But one of the things they find is that, uh, especially in the sort of an employee might look at the supervisor or the foreman's job and say, well, that looks great. I want to do that. Maybe you get a pickup truck, or you you, you know you stay pretty clean. Um, that looks great. Um, and some people get into that, and they go, you know what? Nah, <laughs> I didn't know how much people stuff there would be in this yeah. job. So yeah. I'd like to go back to doing what I was doing. And yeah. but they give them the opportunity to try it out. And mm-hmm. um, some people lean into it, and others challenge you. Have have you had experiences with that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that's a classic example of, you know, going from a field technician where you're maybe on a job site all by yourself and you're using your hands and, you know, and solving problems out there. And all of a sudden you become a people manager and it's a whole different level or different type of stress. I mean, I, I personally can't do the physical labor that those guys do because they work really hard and they go home just exhausted every night but then you move into a different manager, people leader role in the same end of, same division or whatever, and you go home just as trashed at night, but it's because of the stress that's involved because everybody's calling you to help them fix a problem or you got an employee relations issue or whatever it might be. And it's like, wow, I, I didn't learn that in, in, <laughs> in school.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of Conversation Street. For more information or to submit a question, email successauthorities at inquire at successauthorities.com.